Good morning. How are you guys doing today? Do you guys have a good 4th of July? Everybody? Good? Good. It's weird when the 4th of July ends is like on the middle of the week on Wednesday, right? Because you don't know whether to celebrate this weekend or last weekend, right? Um, last weekend, I was at, uh, I celebrated early and I went to Massachusetts uh, to visit family and friends. And there I went to uh, Calvary Fellowship in Hartford. And uh, that church was planted by a man named Bill Lamore. Does anybody remember who he is? I got a picture. Bill. There's Bill. Bill used to be on staff here uh, at Calvary Fellowship, and he was a pastor, and he, you know, he taught, did other things, and then he went, planted that church. We went and helped him out, so it was a great opportunity to visit and see it grow and all the things that are going on there. It was really awesome, and uh, Bill is an interesting guy. You can maybe see by that, uh, that, that little smirk that he is a funny guy. Bill is very funny, very humorous, and he loves to play practical jokes. In fact, when Bill left the church, uh, he would call back and prank call the office. So uh, he would always change his voice so we didn't know what it was. And oftentimes I'd pick up the phone. I'd be like, I'd be, hello. And he'd be like, who is this? I'm like, "Uh, this is John, Pastor John. Listen, I'm getting stuff in our mail from you. You know, I'm like, okay. And he's like, I don't want it to come to my house anymore. And I'm like, okay, uh, well, uh, why am I getting mail? Well, we are a church. A church? I'm like, yes, a church. You know, and he's like really trying to fluster me. And I'm like, well, uh, you know, we... uh, uh, you're probably on our mailing list. How do I get on your mailing list? I'm like, well, uh, you probably attended the service one time. And so you got on it and he, well, I don't want mail from you guys anymore. Just give me your name and your, your address and I'll be happy to get off. Well, don't you know my name? I'm like, well, no, you're calling me. And he goes, you sent me stuff in the mail. You should know it. And I'm like, sir, I'm like, please, I'm just trying to help you. And then it'd be like, hi, John, it's Bill. I'm like, okay. They'd be like, can I talk to Pastor Bob? I'm like, okay, Bill, thanks. You know, it's funnier when you think, not in the moment. In the moment, you're very frustrated and he gets me all flustered, you know, and I'm not a phone guy to begin with. Does anyone here not like to talk on the phone like me? Used to frustrate my wife a little because, uh, you know, I don't like to talk long on the phone, but a lot of times at home, you know, you're always a little nervous to pick up the phone because you don't know who's on the other side. And a lot of times it's a salesperson, right? Like, People are calling you, they're peddlers trying to sell something to you. And you know, if you answer that and you get in that conversation, you're going to be with them for like 15, 20 minutes. And if you're like me and I don't like to say no, so it's hard. And they have all these questions that lead you to always say yes. That's their, their plan. They keep going. If you can keep saying yes. So they're like, you do want to save money, don't you? And I'm like, how do I say no here? You know, it's like, yes, I want to save money, but not with you. I mean, I don't even know what to say. And, uh, you know, you never confirm your mailing address because once you confirm your mailing address, you've just signed up for a program and now you're paying $45 a month. So you got to say, no, I don't want to confirm my uh, address. My aunt has a trick. And um, what she does is she picks up the phone. She says hello only once because if nobody says anything after that, that's a sales call. It's the electronic thing. But if you say it twice, a lot of times we go, hello, hello, and then click, the guy comes on. So little tip for you guys right there. Um, But like the thing is with that, I just want to say yes to get them off the phone. And uh, so I'm not very good at that. But it happens to be that at the office, I often get phone calls that uh, if they're theological in nature, somebody's got a question about God, they tend to give it to me. And so a few years back, quite a few years back, we get a phone call around noon. And they're like, Pastor John, it's a phone. You know, it's a question about the Bible. I'm like, okay, I'll take that, you know. So I get on it. And you never know what you're going to get. But I get on the phone and the guy's like, immediately says, listen, John chapter 17, verse three says this, and this is eternal life that they may know you the only true God. 
Now, if there's only one God, how can Jesus be God? And I'm like, uh, well, sir, there's the Trinity. Well, isn't that three gods? Well, you know, Jesus was God. What do you mean Jesus is God? Where does it show me? And I'm like, well, if you go to John chapter 1, it says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And he goes, no, 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 that's not right. Because it really should be a little article that says, a God. He was a God, little God, not the God. See, that's wrong. And I'm like, well, maybe... Isaiah 9, 6 says that for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and he shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father. No, 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 that's not what it means. And he's arguing with me, and I'm like, and then he starts showing me other stuff and challenging me. And he's like, well, what about this? See, it says that Jesus was, uh, was firstborn. And if he's the firstborn, that means he's created in Colossians. And I'm like, well, yeah, but that means uh, this, that, and the other. And he's like, and he keeps going. And this guy knows Hebrew and he knows Greek. And he's starting to break down everything that I'm believing in. And suddenly I'm like, he's like challenging me left and right. And I'm like, is this Bill? You know, and he's like, no. <laughs> and this guy like hammering me and hammering me, hammering him. By the time I was done with that phone call, I was like all shook up, you know, and I'm like, and I was even, I wrote a class on the Trinity. So I'm like trying to, on the phone, fumbling through my files, like trying to get them out. Like, there's got to be something in here I can use, you know? And uh, when I was done, I'm like, like shaking up. I'm like thinking, oh my God, I got to study more. This guy had me so nervous. I don't even, I'm not sure I even know what I believe in, you know? You guys ever have one of those conversations where someone really challenges you and you get like kind of like really your foundation gets a little rocked, right? And you're, you get, you starts to cause you to doubt you know, maybe it's the guy who knocked on your door one time and he knocks on the door and then he starts telling you about another Jesus. And, you, you know, you're like, um, well, and he starts talking to you uh, from the Bible and they start going to scripture verses. And you're like, well, I, I didn't know that was in there. And they're starting to shake you up a little bit, right? Because they're starting to tell you what you believe is wrong. And they're pretty convincing. Maybe you had a friend who is an atheist a lot of us have like that situation or it might not even be a friend to somebody, you know, from work, or whatever. And you start to get in that conversation about God with them. Right. But the funny thing is their argument is a lot better than your argument. Right. And you're starting to feel a little foolish and you're like, well, I mean, should I really believe in God? I mean, do you just begin to doubt? And uh, so a lot of times we have these weird conversations, but it's not always a conversation or with a person. Sometimes uh, it's a situation that makes us question our faith a little bit. You ever been in a like a really difficult trial or season of your life? I mean, and it's so difficult and you're struggling and you're like wondering about God. You're like, God, if you're so good, why aren't you doing something about this? Why aren't you rescuing me here? And so we start to feel that like, man, is, is this where's God? Or maybe you've been trusting God, you know, with your life and you've been doing things God's way and you've been trying and keep trying doing God's way, but it doesn't seem to be working the way you want it to work, right? Because like, at that times we were like, oh, I'm going to follow Jesus and this is the plan that I have and this is the way I thought life was going to turn out, but it's not turning out like that at all, right? And you're like, man, this path that I've been on has really not been working and we're thinking, well, maybe there's a different plan because i'm a little disappointed in here or maybe you're like in a difficult stage of life somewhere like a transitional phase at work like you've just got fired or laid off or maybe in a relationship like your marriage is struggling right now or transitioning the kids are moving out and everything's getting a little bit different and your world's getting shook up and it's causing you to wonder and you're considering doing it your way right because if you do it your way it'll It'll be what you want, but you know it's going to lead you away from God. 
You know, sometimes truth gets clouded in our lives and we can find ourselves questioning the path that we're on with God. Has anybody felt that way? Well, you're not alone because I believe that every person on this planet has felt that way too. I mean, if we were to look at the Bible and see some of these characters that are in here, we would see that they've all been in a place where they've questioned their faith and questioned God. Maybe even your pastor, every single person, the person sitting next to you has gone through something like this. And that's why I think today's message is so important to every single one of us. Because at one point in our lives, at one stage, we're going to find ourselves in a place where we're questioning, where we're wondering, where we're doubting, whether we're thinking, is it even worth it? Or should I continue down this path? And in times of frustration, in times of transition, in times of trial, or when we're off balance, these are the times that it comes to us. And here's the thing. There's something I think that we all need to know that will help us in these moments when we experience them. We're in 1 John, uh, the book that John wrote in a letter, and uh, we're in a series called Real, Authentic Faith in a Fake World. And John has been talking about what it means to be real with God and to have real faith. And right now, he's addressing this church who's being influenced by a bunch of people that's causing them to question the truth. And so John wants to remind them what truth is. Because if we have truth in our lives and he can establish this truth, it's going to be a foundation for them. It's going to be a base for them. It's going to keep them grounded because truth will be an anchor to them despite all that's happening in their surroundings. And we're going to talk about that today. We're in John, 1 John chapter 2, verse 18. And here's the thing. I hope by the end of the message today that each of us is going to gain one thing. One thing that is going to help us when we come to these moments. Something that we can fall back on. Something that's going to help clarify our situation so that we would stay true to God and that we would be able to stand in our times of doubt. So we're going to start reading right now in verse 18. Here it is. Little children, it is the last hour, and as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come, by which we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us, but they went out that they might be made manifest, that none of them were of us. But you have an anointing from the Holy One, and you know all things. I have not written to you because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and that no lie is of the truth. Who is a liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? He is the Antichrist who denies the Father and the Son. Whoever denies the Son does not have the Father either. He who acknowledges the Son has the Father also. Therefore, let that abide in you, which you have heard from the beginning. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, you also will abide in the Son. And in the Father. The first thing John wants us to know about truth is this. It's in your outline if you want to pull it out. That there is only one truth. There's only one truth. See, the problem was with this church that there were people coming in that were introducing another truth. And John calls them Antichrist. Now, you may have heard of the term Antichrist with the capital A, right? Everybody, whoever's read the, the series Left Behind probably knows who that is. And he is this main character in the time of the tribulation. If we were to look in our Bibles and go to the book of Revelation, it's about the end times, the last seven years of this earth, this age that we live in. And it's 
characterized by all these tumultuous things that are happening. I mean, like meteors are falling on the earth and plagues are running rampant and the sky is darkening and it's a really scary place to be. And uh, this guy, the Antichrist, he's operating for Satan. He's a bad guy. And he will rise to power and he will have certain powers where he can actually like deceive other people. And maybe you've heard this before. He's going to cause people to take his mark or his number, right? And if you take that mark or the number, then you'll be able to buy or sell. But if you don't, you won't be able to. But not only that, he's going to kill you. So it's going to be pretty tough. He's a bad guy. And here's what Paul says about him. Let no one deceive you by any means for that day, meaning the end times, will not come unless the falling away comes first. The man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped, so that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. So this guy's going to come, go into the temple, pretend like he's God. But this is not who John is talking about. John is talking about, he says, many antichrists have already come. Not the guy that's coming at the end. Because he's coming, but it's these other guys that are coming. And these little A antichrists, little A, who are they? Well, a lot of us would say anti, right? Anti means against. If I'm anti this, I'm anti, I'm against that. Like anti-terrorist, anti-bacterial, anti-perspirant, right? It means I'm against terrorists, I'm against bacteria. It's against uh, perspiration because we don't like it when we perspire because then we smell. So we use that stuff and it's a good thing. But... The, real, the meaning of this Greek word anti is really takes on the meaning of instead of. So not necessarily against, but instead of. And that's what John is employing here. So they're not necessarily against Christ, but they preach something instead of Christ. So maybe they preach that there is a Christ, but that they're the Christ, not Jesus. Or maybe they preach that there's something different about the Christ that we know about. In fact, this letter, the first book of John here, was written specifically so that they could dispute or he could dispute these heresies and things that were infiltrating the church about their theology. You see, um, they might believe that Jesus wasn't God. And so they're trying to preach that. Or they may even believe that sin is not bad. And see, these things instead of, instead of against, instead of is a very subtle place. You see, it's just a, sh a slight shift from the truth so that we would be easily enticed to believe it. That's what happens when it's instead of. But however, John wants us to understand that there is only one truth and that these ideas that they're being bombarded with cannot all be true. They can't all be true. This is why John says this. I have not written to you. We read it earlier, but I'm going to emphasize it. I have not written to you because you do not know the truth, but because you know it. And that no lie is of the truth. You see, John is using very simple language for you and me. No lie is of the truth, right? Truth is not a lie and lie is not a truth. There's a very distinct dividing line. It can't be both. On uh, Mother's Day, unlike the 4th of July this year, it lands on Sunday. It always lands on Sunday. And you guys are probably here. Anybody here on, on Mother's Day? Get a picture. Get your family portrait. A few of you are brave enough to say you did. Why? Did the pictures come out bad? <laughs> uh, but there was... Uh, but we did uh, on Sunday. It's always a big day here. And uh, I usually leave early here. With, uh, my wife comes later because I come early in the morning, help set up, make sure things are going well, especially on a day like that when we have extra stuff going on. So I left early that day and then we had the services and then I went home afterward. Uh, again, my wife left early because there's a lot of cleanup to do. When I arrived at my house, 
my wife usually greets me at the door. Now, it's really, she does that as reciprocation because she likes it if I greet her at the door. If I don't greet her at the door, it can set the mood for the rest of the day. So I try to always be at the door no matter what I'm doing. So I got home, I parked in the driveway, and I, I got up to the door, and I'm like, surprise, no door. She knows I'm coming home, she's not here. So I opened the door, and my dog Max came out. And my dog Max uh, was wearing this right here. And we don't ever dress our dogs, you know? So like, I'm like, this is a little weird. And it's like this tight, tight, tight t-shirt that can barely fit on him. And she put some kind of like silver thing on him. And I'm like, Max, what happened to you? You're like, Max, I feel so bad for you. Like, to be dressed like that. So I walked into the house and I'm like, honey, you, you, where were you? You weren't at the door. And I'm like, and, and why did you dress our dog like a, uh, like a alternative lifestyle biker? You know, I'm like, what, what, what was up with that? And she goes, well, did you read it? Did you read the t-shirt? And I'm like, oh, well, let me look. And, and it says this, I'm going to be a big brother. That's right. Thank you. My wife and I, can you say that? My wife and I are pregnant. She's, she's the pregnant one. Thank you. I know from the first service it leaked, so a lot of you already knew. But <laughs> the funny thing was, like weeks before it was happening, people are coming up to us asking if we're pregnant. And I'm like, how do these people know this? It's like, there's the funny thing about being pregnant is like you either are pregnant or you aren't pregnant. There's like no in-between. There's no, like, I'm kind of a little pregnant, right? You either are or you aren't, and that's it. And that's just what, like, truth. You, it either is true or it's not true. And that's what John is trying to tell us, that these antichrists that are coming, and they're trying to change the gospel. They're saying, listen, you take this Jesus and not your Jesus. This is what we're trying to preach. But the Bible tells us this in Acts chapter 4. It says, salvation is found in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. There is only one Jesus and there is only one gospel of salvation. Have you ever heard someone say all religions really worship the same God? Right? You've probably heard that. If someone didn't tell you directly, you've heard it somewhere else. They're kind of like, they're all really, don't they all really worship one God? And I think if we were to take a quick study, even a very, very quick survey of religions and just look at them, we would see that that's not true because they all have a different end game, if you will. Some preach that you will go to heaven and be with God, right? Others preach or teach that you will be reincarnated as an animal, right? So others, again, if your karma is good enough, then in your next life, you will obtain either a better position in life or a worse position in life, right? Or some teach that you will become a god, and yet others still preach that you just die and nothing else happens. You expire and that's it. There's nothing else. No, no afterlife, no nothing. And if we were really to think about that for a minute, I mean, really think about it. We live in the world of reality, and if there can only be one of those things happening, right? Really. They can't all occur. They can't all be happening just because we want them to. There's only one thing that can really happen, and only one of them can be true. Now, this message is not about proving that Jesus is God, okay? Um, but what I would like to say at this point, then, is we should know a little bit about what we believe. 
And even though you will be challenged, like I was challenged on the phone, each of us should take the opportunity to, with the help of our church, to grow and to know the Lord and to know what it is that we believe. I don't believe in a blind faith. I believe we're led by God blindly sometimes, but we shouldn't be believing in God blindly. And uh, what I'd like you to do is just take out your connection card for just a moment. You should have it handy because you were filling it out earlier. But on the bottom left, the second one from the bottom, it says attend a membership class. And if you've never attended a membership class, I'd like you to check that off. And maybe you say, well, what's a membership class going to do? Well, we're not going to teach a theology there. We are going to teach what our church believes a little bit. And we're going to tell you some other things. But membership is about growing and being challenged in our faith on a continual path with God. And so when you sign up to become a member, you're really agreeing to grow closer to God. And we're going to help you do that through the things that we offer and encourage you in that way. And now going to the class won't make you a member. So I would encourage you to attend the class and then you can decide if you want to be a member. So take advantage of that. And perhaps maybe today you're also thinking maybe my next step with God to grow closer to him is to be baptized and to commit. And you can check that off. Uh, We're going to have an orientation right after the service, by the way. So the first one is that there's only one truth. But the second thing John wants us to know about truth is this. Truth is not decided by the majority. Truth is not decided by the majority. When I was in elementary school, and I was about six years old, you know, I'm like this high, and uh, we went to gym class. And the thing about being that age is you, some of you can read, some of you know a little bit about stuff, some of you know, don't, you're always kind of on the weird, you're not sure exactly. Well, the gym teacher said, okay, everybody start walking around the gym in the clockwise direction. Well, again, some of us kind of had ideas what was right, what was wrong, and two groups broke off. And so there were two groups that were walking around the gym, one in one direction and one in the other direction. Now, I was in the smaller, slightly smaller group. And as we would walk around and pass the bigger group, I'm thinking more people are in that group. Maybe they know what's exactly right. But I think I know what's right. And as we would pass, these two groups had to pass each other. A little bit more broke off from the smaller group and the larger group got bigger. So we kept going around and around and it got more every time I'd pass. I'm getting more tempted because I'm seeing our group keep continue to break off. And I think, well, maybe they're right. So finally, our group got small enough and I'm just like, they got to be right. So I got in and I started walking in the direction that they were walking in. And then eventually everybody started walking in the same direction. And at that point, the gym teacher stopped us all and he says, OK, you've all been walking in the counterclockwise direction. <laughs> And I was like, you've been walking the wrong way. And though all of us decided to walk in the direction we thought was clockwise, you know what? It didn't matter. It didn't change which way clockwise really is. And if you've kind of identified with that idea and that story, there's probably been a time in your life, maybe it wasn't someone telling you walk clockwise, but maybe it was something else that somebody was doing. And even though you kind of knew it was wrong to do, or what they were believing in and you weren't quite sure, but because a lot of people were doing it, we decided to do it, right? You kind of went along. And John right now is, is very concerned for the church because he's saying, listen, there's a lot of antichrists that have been coming. A lot of these ideas are coming into this church and I'm concerned that you are going to be swayed by the crowd and you're going to go with them. And that's why John wants to emphasize this idea of truth. Because if we know truth, it's then that we are going to stay grounded. Now, I don't know who invented the clock. I don't know if anyone here does. I didn't even bother to look it up because I figured they didn't know. But think about it for a minute. There was a guy who made a clock at one point in his life. 
And when he made that clock, he decided that one way was the way that the clock was going to spin, right? It's going to go this way. And then every other clock that we've ever seen, I've never seen one go the other way. I mean, not kind of, you know, digital is something different, but I've never seen a clock go in the other direction. So this guy who invented it, who created it, was the one who decided which way clockwise was, right? And that standard became the standard by which we usually talk about which way something is rotating, right? We say, oh, yeah, go about clockwise, shuffle the cards, deal them out clockwise or counterclockwise. When you look in your sink after you've done the dishes and it's filled up and it starts to empty out, we go, oh, it's going counterclockwise. Or if we look in the toilet, right? Unless you're south of the equator, then it's going clockwise or counterclockwise, right? The opposite, they say. (laughs) Nobody's tracking with me there, but... But listen, why do we call things clockwise or counterclockwise? Because somebody created it and decided which way it was supposed to go. It was the creator of the clock that decided which way was clockwise. And the same is true about life. It is the creator of life who decides what's true or false about life. When it comes to life, it is the one who created it. It is God. It was decided by God. Do you have one of those friends who likes to argue really loudly? Are you one of those friends that likes to, I tend to be that person. I like to blame it on the Italian in me, but it's not true. But listen, I have this sense, and I think if you are too, or you've met one, you have this sense that if you argue your point loud enough, that it is the right, it is the right one, right? And so you're like, oh, I just get a little louder and that'll be, and then I'll be right. I'll be correct. But listen, the loudest voice is not the thing that makes it right. It doesn't matter how, voice, how loud your voice is. It doesn't matter how many people are believing it or saying it. It doesn't matter how foolish they make you feel or you feel about something. None of those things decides truth. Truth is decided by the creator. And that's why it's so important for us to stay close to the truth. You see, our creator wrote this book, and if we stay close to this book, then we will know the truth. That's what the Bible says to us. Listen, what Jesus had to say. So Jesus was saying to those Jews who had believed him, if you continue in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine, and you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. That's why we stay so close to God. That's why we read our Bible, because through this word of God, God is speaking truth into our lives. And it's the guide by which we can live our life, because it was made by the creator. So there is only one truth. And truth is not decided by the majority. But the third thing that John would like us to know is this. Truth demands a choice. Truth demands a choice. When we find ourselves in a place where we are challenged, it will require a choice. I mean, it always does. At one point or another, we have to make up our mind and make a decision when it comes to God. And John knows this very well because he found himself once in a place where he had to make a choice. And he wrote about us, he wrote about it in the book of John chapter 6. You don't have to turn there, but you can if you want. But I've provided some verses in your outline so you can follow along. But Jesus was feeding the 5,000 people one day in Tiberias. And John, of course, and the disciples are present. And they're watching this all happen. And, uh, you know, if he was going to feed 5,000 men, it says, 5,000 men, think about that. It wasn't just men. It was probably their wives and their kids. And they, at least maybe a couple kids, or probably more because it was an agricultural society. So, I mean, there could have been 20,000 people there that he actually fed. 
So here he is feeding all these people and the people were ecstatic. They were so excited that someone fed them. Now, not that they didn't have their own food, but it was a big thing to have food in that day. I mean, they didn't really have refrigeration. And so food was a little bit more scarce than you, for, you, for them than it is for you and I. That's why they were so excited about rain, because the more it rained, the more crops they had, the more food they could get. And, uh, you know, they didn't just call up uh, the, the Miami food trucks and have them come for a rally. They couldn't do that there. So, like, Jesus feeds them and they're all going crazy. They're all excited. In fact, it says that in this very chapter that they wanted to make him king, take him by force, forcibly make him their king because they're like, man, if somebody fed me and they're giving me what I need and providing for me, then he needs to be my king. Let's make him our king. That's what we want out of a king anyway, not somebody who's always taking, but somebody that's giving. And so the height of Jesus' ministry at this point, these guys are so excited about him and they're like, wow, this is the man, this is the Messiah, this is the Christ, this is our king. And they're pumped. Well, Jesus dismisses the crowd that day and he sends his disciples off and and then he heads over there with them and they go to Capernaum. And so they're there the next day in Capernaum. And when the crowd shows up back in Tiberias, they're like, where where do they go? So they all head over to Capernaum. And there they find Jesus and his disciples hanging out. And they come up to Jesus and they're like, start taunting him for food. And they're trying to get him to give them food. So they're saying things like, you know, when we were in the desert, you know, God sent manna from heaven sent fruit from heaven you know they're like kind of you know you know god did this can you do that would you do that for us and they're like trying to get him to feed him but jesus is thinking you know maybe i can use this moment as a spiritual teaching opportunity right they're coming to me they're seeking bread and so he says listen i am the bread of heaven I'm like okay i'm gonna, gonna go to a spiritual place here and they're like you know they're like no you're not <laughs> they're like what no you're not you we know who your mother and father are. So Jesus is like, well, let me try maybe something else. So then Jesus continuing one to teach them says, whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. For my flesh is food indeed and my blood is drink indeed. I mean, imagine hearing that. They're like, this guy is going crazy. You know, it's like, you want food? You know, I know I gave you bread yesterday, but try that right there. You know, take a bite. They're like, what are you talking about? Are you serious? Like, they're thinking he's a little nuts. They're like, Look, quit, quit with the crazy talk. Just give us the food. That's what we want. The food. Give us the food, and then we'll be gone. And I guess some of these people started getting, like, kind of grossed out at this point because it says that they were very confused. They were like, man, I don't get this. And that's exactly what it says in verse 60. On hearing it, it's, on your ver- it's in your uh, outline, uh, many of his disciples said, this is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? You're just saying freaky things and we don't understand it. How are we supposed to accept it? Just feed us and that'll be good enough. Now, the disciples, if you think about it, they're kind of looking on the 12 disciples, John sitting there among them. And he's kind of watching the crowd start to thin because some of them are just like this guy. I don't know what happened between yesterday and today, but I'm not up for this. And so they start leaving and the crowd starts to back away. And if you're a disciple and you're watching this, you might get a little concerned. Because, number one, you'd want to maintain your popularity, but the crowd was a big deal back then. Because if the crowd went away, so did their protection. Because the crowd is what kept the Pharisees from wanting to take Jesus, not wanting to, but from taking Jesus. Because if you recall, there were some scenes in the New Testament where Jesus is around and he's doing some amazing stuff. He does all these miracles and the crowd's going crazy. And then he says something like, uh, you know, says something against the Pharisees and then the Pharisees want to kill him, right? But then they're like, 
they, they talk about it amongst themselves, and they're like, well, if we take him now, this crowd is going to kill us because they believe that he's the Messiah, right? They were afraid to take Jesus because the crowd was with them. So the disciples are looking on. They see the crowd going, and they're like getting a little bit concerned. I mean, yesterday they were, they were the awesome guys, and now they're the weirdos. And so it's like they're, they're starting to talk maybe amongst themselves. Maybe they're starting to think, you know, Jesus, maybe we should pull him aside at this point. Jesus, can you just feed them some food? They're starting to leave, you know. Jesus, do you have to say this weird stuff? Can you just say something else? Like, you know, tell them about that thing you told us about the coins. You know, if you lose a coin, they're going to find you because God's going to come after you. He's going to leave the 99 so he can come after the one. That's good stuff. They want to hear it. Say something different. And Jesus must have understood what they were saying because he says this in verse 61, aware that his disciples were grumbling about this, Jesus said to them, does this offend you? Jesus knew what was going on. And he said, like, disciples, does this offend you guys? And, and at this moment, it starts to really become a very pivotal point in John's life because the ministry of Jesus is going to change. All of it's going to change right here in this scene. The next verse says this, from this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. This was the dividing point where the crowd left. If we were to look ahead one chapter, in the very beginning verses of that chapter, it says Jesus would no longer go to Judea because their lives were in danger. You see, the crowd was gone. They couldn't go to the very hive of the Pharisees now because the Pharisees also wanted to kill them. Listen, if you're a disciple at that time, man, your whole life just changed. I mean, just yesterday... The months preceding that, you were like the in crowd. I mean, you were the close circle of this guy, Jesus. And it would say whenever he went to a city that he would heal everybody in that city. Can you imagine Jesus here in the middle of Miramar? Every single person, it says, that had an infirmity, he would heal. What would this place look like? We would all be like this, you know, standing room only, out the doors, parking lot full, probably all the way up to the park, all the way up to Miramar Parkway. I mean, how many people would be crowded here? And you're the inner circle with Jesus. When people wanted to see Jesus, they would come up to the disciples. Remember when the little kids wanted to come and Jesus says, goes, you know, hey, let, let the little kids come because they would be like, hey, no, do you guys got, uh, got some money or what do you got a ticket? You know what I mean? They were the guys that let him in. And when the blind guys wanted to see Jesus, the same thing. It was the disciples who said, hey, can they see him or not? They'd have to get through the disciples. So the, the, the disciples are like rock stars. Think about it. They got all the privilege. I mean, Jesus is feeding them. They're healing them. Imagine you get a cold. Jesus, I'm not feeling too good today. And I was like, boom, I feel great now, you know, right? They had the in. They had everything. And wherever he wanted, he went, people wanted to be near him. And now the crowd is going away and everything is changing. It's just them and Jesus. It's no longer going to be fun. And I think it's at this moment they're realizing that it's going to cost them something. Because it's at this moment, John's moment comes, and Jesus turns to the disciples and he says this, you don't want to leave too, do you? I mean, that's the thing about Jesus that's not, that, you know, we don't like as much as he reads our minds. You know, it's like, well, um, maybe. I remember when uh, Pastor Bob asked me to help come plant the church. 
And it was a while back. I was in the, the Bible uh, college with him. He was the dean, and he was meeting with the people that were graduating, and he met with me, and he's like, oh, John, what are you going to do? You know, now you got all this knowledge, and you're going down this road, and I'm like, you know, I really don't know. And he says, well, I'm going to plant a church in, in this area here. And he says, and when I plant that church, I'd, would you like to come with me and help out? And I'm like, got nothing better to do. You know, I was thinking, okay. But here's the thing. Um, there was no promise of a job. I mean, I was a volunteer. Like everybody here, whoever's volunteered, I just came and set up and tore down for a couple years even and just did whatever he asked me to do. And there was no job promised to me. There was no money. There was, not, there was no pastorship. He didn't say, John, if you do this, I'm going to make you a pastor. Nothing. None of that. And you got to understand, I was going to a church with about 12,000 people at that time, maybe more. There were 6,000 women going to that church. And I'm a single man. And I'm going to a church with seven people. And none of them are single. <laughs> At that time in my life, I'm like in the early 30s. I'm thinking, you know, I got to get married, but what am I doing? And you guys might get mad at me for this, but I grew up in, in Massachusetts and I just pictured an American wife, you know, and I go, and they're all Spanish down there. <laughs> I married a Colombian, so I hope that, and it's wonderful. But I'm thinking, God, am I not, is that crazy? I mean, should I go down there? Lord, there, there's nothing there for me. There's no job, there's no career, there's no money, there's no prominence, no pastorship, no women that I could speak of. I mean, we're going to have to think about it. I'm going to have to grow this church to like 300 people before there's any options maybe for me. You know, some of them are married, whatever. You know, to that point, you know, Christianity w was good for me because, you know, it didn't cost me anything. I mean, it's a little money to go to the Bible college, but that was no big deal. I was learning. Things were fun. And now it's like, are you going to do this? Because now there's some difficulty here. Now there's some things that are causing you to question your life. You know, and then you start to hear that little voice maybe that says, you're not going to leave too, are you? You know, the longer you're a Christian, the more of these little moments that you're going to have, and, and maybe some are bigger, some are smaller. But I think it happens to all of us at some point. The challenge of following Jesus will begin to cost you something. You know, maybe you're the outcast. People think you're strange now because you're a Christian. Like your family, like, why are you going to that church? Why isn't our church good enough? Why are you, why are you doing this all the time? And you're the one out of the group of your friends, right? That no longer participates in some of the things that they do. So they think you're weird. Right? You've had, I've been there. Oh, no, we can't call John. He can't do any of this stuff. Right? So now you're feeling a little weird. And someone maybe challenges you, like we spoke about earlier, on what you believe. And you don't have all the answers right now. So you're thinking, man, maybe they're right. And it seems like following and doing it God's way is hurting you more than doing it your way. So we start to think, well, maybe... I should just start doing it my way. And following Jesus maybe isn't quite as much fun as it was because this trial that's come into your life and you were depending on Jesus and he was supposed to do this and it's always supposed to be this way and he's not really doing it that way. And so why am I bothering? And Christianity seems to be taking more from you than it's been given. I tithe 10% of my income. I volunteer at the church. I do all this other stuff for other people and everything like this and just... 
seems like I'm doing more than it's giving me. And you begin to consider, is this really right for me? And that's your moment. You hear that little voice. And I don't know what it is that you're going through. And I don't know what it is that may be causing you to think that. But we've all been there. So the 12 disciples are alone with Jesus. Pretty much most of the crowd is gone. You aren't thinking of leaving too, are you? Man, I don't know what they were doing. I'd probably be like, man, I was thinking that. And then Peter, Peter who's got like, the biggest mouth ever. He likes to stick his feet in it. Peter says this amazing thing. He has this flash of insight. And I think it can be the most incredibly helpful thing in our lives when we find ourselves in this situation. And I think it's something that we tend to forget. And it's a question I think we all need to ask ourselves, and it's in your outline. Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. You know, maybe Peter was there. Yeah, I was thinking of it. I was thinking it would have been a lot easier instead of this tense moment if when they were going, I just kind of ducked a little and I kind of blended in with the crowd and I left too. I was thinking that maybe, yeah. But it also occurred to me that if I walk away from you, Jesus then I have to walk into something, embrace something else, right? If I leave you, then I have to go somewhere else. And to whom shall I go? You ever think about that in those moments when we're thinking, yeah, I, I think I should do it another way. I'll go, or maybe even leaving or doing whatever. That who do you go to instead of Jesus? You see, what happens a lot of times in these moments is that we think about all the other questions that come into our heads. Jesus, why weren't you there? God, why didn't you do this? You know, maybe they're right. They're causing me to think about all these things. All this stuff, all these questions come into our head. All these things into our mind. Instead of all those questions, maybe this is the very question that we need to focus on when we're in those times, in those moments of challenge. You see, Peter continues, you have the words of eternal life. And he says something that really clarifies it and puts everything really in perspective for you and me. Who else has ever offered you eternal life? Did you ever find that somewhere else in the world? Was there some guy on the street corner offering us eternal life? Whoever wants it, ringing a bell? None of us found that. What was it in your life that was the game changer for you? What's the thing that transformed your life? You know, the majority of people that are sitting here right now they're sitting here because God, Jesus Christ, the Jesus that we know did a work in our lives and changed it radically forever. Why would you go somewhere else? Where is it you would go? Because if you're not going to embrace Jesus, you have to embrace some other person or some other thing or some other philosophy. And none of those things ever did it before for you. It wasn't a bottle of liquor that did it for you. It wasn't a relationship with some person that did it for you. It wasn't a job that did it for you. It wasn't a home or a vacation or whatever. None of those things were able to do it. Only Jesus Christ. And when we're in those moments, this is the very question that we have to remember and ask ourselves, 
well, where else am I going to go? Because all the power, all the forgiveness, everything that we need for life lies in Jesus Christ. It was two years later, two years later that I got a phone call at the office from the same guy that called me before. And it's funny because when I hung up with him the last time and was flustered like crazy, I was actually hoping he would call back because I went and I studied and I looked at my notes and I'm like, some of it just to reinforce my faith. But I'm thinking if he calls back, I want to be able to talk with him. And how would I talk with him thinking all this stuff and not necessarily to argue with him, but he called and I get on the phone with him and we're talking and he had all these new arguments (laughs) just like I did. And I said to him, you know, you know, you called me a few years back, two years ago. He goes, no, I didn't. And I said, no, you called me two years ago. I know you did. And I said, you're not telling me the truth now. And he got upset with me for saying that because I was basically calling him a liar. Right. And I said to him, well, I said, listen, I think this is what you do. I think that you study up at night and you get yourself really prepared and you're good at arguing. You're probably a better arguer than I. And I said, you get yourself all planned and ready and at your lunch hour, you call churches and you talk to pastors and you try to shake them up. No, I don't. I'm like, no, I, I believe it's exactly what you do. And, uh, you know, as we continue to talk a little bit, I said, listen, there's, here's what I know. You're not going to convince me. No matter what you tell me, you're not going to convince me. And I'm probably not going to convince you. So let's just end this conversation right now. And so we hung up and I haven't heard from him since. But here's something that I I really did realize. I didn't want his Jesus. I didn't want what he was selling. Because he didn't, his Jesus never did anything for me. You see, it was my Jesus that saved my life. It was the Jesus that I know that changed everything for me. He rescued me from the vain pursuits that I would follow after that never brought me anything. He brought me purpose in my life that I so desperately sought. And he clarified things for me. You know, he brought me the wife into my life that I didn't know was going to be coming. And he brought me a child. Praise God. The thing that we need to ask ourselves every single time, and remember this question, is to whom shall I go? When you're in the point of doubt, and you're in the point of wondering, and your faith is getting shaken, remember this question, to whom shall I go? I'm going to pray, end the message with prayer. and um, At the end of the prayer, maybe somebody here has never experienced that Jesus, the Jesus that transformed your life, the Jesus that offers you eternal life. And I'm going to offer an opportunity for you to pray and uh, you'll just follow me in a prayer. And it's, it's not necessarily the prayer, but it's, it's your heart speaking to God, asking for forgiveness and receiving him. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you that you're just such an awesome God. And there are moments where we don't always feel that way because we're questioning, because we feel hurt or we feel anger. But Lord, you are. Your word says you never change. You'll always be the awesome God who has unfailing love for each and every one of us. 
who has a storehouse full of grace that can't be emptied. And that grace is for each of us. Lord, I thank you that you're a good God and I know you care about every single person in this place and those that aren't even in this place that are far from you. Lord, I pray that you would bless everyone here. Lord, that you would help us to remember those words and that question whenever we get into a position where we are questioning, to whom shall we go? Lord, I pray that this week you walk with them, that you go with them wherever they go. Lord, that they might shine your light. And Lord, I pray that we you would challenge each and every one of us this week to share about Jesus Christ with someone else. Lord, thank you. That's our prayer. In Jesus' name we pray.